Okay. I'm just really pleased that I can, for the first time, now we did do some outdoor worship at the cathedral, um, but it was earlier in the morning, and I didn't get this nice ray of sunshine, so I can work on my tan and preach at the same time. It's really multitasking, and as you look at me, if I haven't blinded you already, um, you know I need a little help. I need a little, little, bit, of, a little bit of color of, in the skin here. Um, so what a privilege, what an honor it is to be here with y'all. Um, I, 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 my feelings about Rob are, are mutual. I love the man. Um, he does have a bit of a problem. I don't know if you all know about his um, New York Yankees problem. Um, I, 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 I do struggle with that aspect of him, but for the most part, he is a, an amazing, amazing pastor. I was just talking to one of uh, your... Uh, your, your fellow members here at Hope Church. And when he said at the beginning of the service, you are loved, uh, we love you, that is not just talk, right? As John wrote in his first epistle, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And I can vouch for the fact that Rob Hibbert loves in deed and in truth and will and all the, the team here at Hope Church. So that bit at the top of the, of, the, uh, of the t-shirts, I have a couple of these t-shirts he gave me last time I was here and I still wear them. It's very soft. It's a nice soft t-shirt, isn't it? But the love bit, I can, I can vouch for that. So um, here's a question. If you were an alien, and I mean like a, like a E.T. type alien, like green alien from another planet, alien, and you landed here in Somerville, USA in, let's say, June 26, 2021. Let's just say you landed in a parking lot somewhere in Somerville, USA. What might you think the values of this civilization would be? Uh, just looking around, like just looking around at how uh, people interact, where they invest, uh, looking at their calendars to see how their time is spent, looking at their online presence to see what gets their eyes and their money. Based on that, what might be the values that you'd put down in your little logbook as you were kind of observing these creatures here in Somerville? And just for the record, I think this, this thing I'm about to say here, this is not just about Somerville, just so you know. All right, I'm in Charleston. We love you in Somerville. This is about, it would be true of any culture, any place in the USA in 2021, including my own. So I think this. I think an alien would say that the values would be something like immediacy, vanity, and convenience. Immediacy. Vanity and convenience. Let me, let me unpack those a bit. So immediacy. I mean, let's face it. Uh, we live in an instant grits culture, do we not? Right? What do I mean by that? Well, to quote Veruca Salt from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I want it now. Right? That is the way we see things, right? Shortcuts, hacks, instant gratification. That's the name of the game. I mean, just think about how we handle knowledge these days. It used to be that in order to know something, you had to take time. You had to study. You had to read. And, and you had to sit under tutelage. And if you hadn't done that, you were just content to just not know something. 
Can you imagine such a thing in today's age? Right? There's an assumption that you can always know something immediately. Yeah? Immediately. You're watching a movie. And an actor comes on the screen, and you just know you've seen him somewhere. Ah, where is he? What was he in? I'll Google it. And you do it, right? And you look it up, and you see exactly where he was and what, what actor was in what movie. And you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I saw that. That's what it was. Completely useless information, but you have it immediately. Or that song that you used to listen to on the radio when you were a kid. And, and all you can remember is just a fragment of the chorus. And you're like, ah, what was that song? And you just put in those few words of the chorus. And lo and behold, there it is, the whole song, all of the lyrics. And not only the lyrics, a, a click to the original video that you watched in the 80s on MTV. It's all immediate. Instant grits in the microwave of life. And then there's our value of vanity. What do I mean by that? I define vanity as an obsession with putting perfection on display. Now, we've always dealt with this. This isn't some new phenomenon, but I think it's kind of been magnified of late. What do we think has driven, uh, over these many decades, the advertisement industry, or the fashion industry, or the beauty product industry, or the wellness industry? Right? It's been that vain chasing after perfection. Perfect style, perfect looks, perfect youth. And now, with the advent of Instagram, we've taken that vanity and we've, we've multiplied it and we have put filters on it. Right? We've taken that vanity, magnified it, multiplied it, and in some ways, we've short-circuited it. We've made it even quicker. Not only does our life, our family, our style need to look perfect, our food needs to look perfect. And to go back to that immediacy value, uh, we need this perceived perfection on display to be achieved instantly. And so we'll just Photoshop anything that doesn't quite fit the perfect photo, right? Anything that's out of place, we'll just fuzz that bit out. And then there's the value of convenience. It's related to these other two. Not only do we want the, to, the perfection to come quickly, we want it to come right to our door. Not only are we an instant grits culture, vain perfectionistic, exhibitionist culture, we are more and more an Amazonified culture. <laughs> yeah? I'm getting an amen over here. So I remember seeing one of those little embroidered pillows once, uh, you know, the one with the little sayings on it, and uh, this was the saying on this little pillow. It said, I want it all, and I want it delivered. Well, guess what? <laughs> you can have it all, and you can have it delivered, right? Just this past week, I'm going to just, I'm going to be truthful with y'all, okay? Can I, can I, can I can make a confession? I've ordered in the past week a double pack of dental floss refills, a fog, a no-fog shaving mirror with a suction cup, and a bunch of lump charcoal. And um, so that's kind of gross when I think about it, all of that, in less than a couple days, really. And, of course, it will all be conveniently delivered 
directly to my front door. And if it takes more than two days, I'll probably be a little annoyed and I'll get a little paranoid. And so I will, I'm just telling you now, I will go and I will check the status of my order. And I will get that tracking number and I will check to see when that thing's gonna show up, right? Yeah, am, am I alone in this? I don't think so, right? So the immediacy and the vanity and the convenience, they're all intertwined. And any alien observer would have very little trouble picking up on it. It's just all out there. And you see, what we, we come to find out is that these aren't just values that we embrace. <sighs> these are idols that we worship. Yeah. They're idols that we worship. I, you know how I know that? I know that because we tend to bring these same three values right into our faith life, don't we? Discipleship, this, this subject that has been y'all's topic for these several weeks, discipleship, it becomes a quick fix with these outward displays of piety, real or manufactured, in order for the good times, what we Christians call blessings, to be delivered right to our door. Yeah, that's what it can kind of become if we're not careful. So God becomes our timer, right? You know, he's on our timer, I'm sorry. And, and our acts, our acts, or that's what counts. And we need to see some results delivered. And if they're not, we get annoyed at best. But more commonly, we, we can become embittered toward God, panicked about God. Is he our deliverer? We would be delighted if there was a way we could get a tracking number for our blessings. Would we not? That's discipleship through the idolatrous values of immediacy, vanity, and convenience. But what does Jesus, what does Jesus say about discipleship? What are the values he would want an alien to describe when describing the life of one of his followers? Well, let's look, shall we? I am in Matthew 13. That's the text I'm going to be working from tonight. Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible or if you want to pull it up on your phone, feel free. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple sections that I think are, are helpful, and, and then I'll be kind of jumping around the whole chapter, so um, you'll just have to hold on to your hats. So here it goes. Chapter 13, verse 1 begins this way. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus went on later to say, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what it was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but, care, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we read this series of parables or stories that Jesus tells, what we find are descriptions of discipleship with values that I would say are like this. Slow and steady, hidden and mysterious, patient and certain. Slow and steady, hidden and mysterious, patient and certain. Now, of course, Jesus was ministering in a time well before our digital age or even well before the Industrial Revolution for that matter. But really, these idols of immediacy, vanity, and convenience aren't just issues for us in these days. They clearly were there even in the time of Jesus. Based on these parables, these same idols plagued his original hearers. And this is evidenced by the fact that he uses not one, not two, but three different agrarian parables about seeds and plants to teach his listeners in this discourse, okay? And so the first, let's look at this first parable of the sower. So verses 3 and following. A sower went out to sow some seed, and and lo and behold, the seed, he spread it, it fell on different kinds of soil, right? You know this story. Let's look at the first three soils and what they represent. So the first soil is the hard Soil of the path, that hard-packed kind of of soil where the seed can't break through the ground and so it just sits on the top and so the birds of the air can just come in and devour all the seeds up, right? The second soil is the rocky soil where the seed can quickly sprout up but it has no root, 
right? He says, in fact, he says it, it sprouts up immediately. There's that word, immediate. But the plant has no root, so it just as quickly withers in the scorching sun. And then there's the third soil, and it's covered in thorny weeds. And so then when that seed sprouts, the plant is then choked and it dies. And when Jesus explains the parable later in verses 18 and following, take note of what he's addressing. So the seed represents the word of the kingdom. You can say it is the seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus for those who are perishing. And the plant that grows up from the seed is a disciple. It's you. It's me. Okay? And so this is a discipleship parable, I think, principally. What Jesus is addressing is the fact that the seed of the gospel, and therefore discipleship, is getting lost. First, for those who do not understand it, and I'd say that's because it is so counterintuitive, it is so countercultural. It's counterculture in the same ways then as it is now. Then there's the second soil. Those are the people who want things immediately, including their life in the kingdom. But that plant can't take the inevitable hurdles, the inevitable harassments of this life, and so it withers. Lord Jesus, we pray for wherever that fire truck is going, and that you would be present in whatever that emergency is, and you would bring mercy and wholeness and healing to whatever needs care. Amen. So that second soil, the plant can't take the, 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 the hardships of life, and it just withers under the, the sun beating down on it, right? And then there's the third soil. And the third soil is uh, those people who are distracted by all the, the vain pursuits of this life. Or as Jesus puts it, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, that vanity chokes the disciple. And so I don't know what the first century Galilean equivalents to Google, Amazon, and Instagram may have been, but the very same idols of immediacy, vanity, and convenience clearly plagued these listeners, right? They plagued them just as they plague us. So next we have in verses 24 to 30, we have another parable of a seed, right? It's a sower. Jesus tells a parable about this one who, who plants a good seed in his field. But while he and his workers were asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds in amongst the good wheat. The master's uh, workers, they come and they tell him, hey, look, there's been an infiltration. And he, they ask if he wants them to go and root up all the weeds. But the master instructs them to wait so that the good wheat isn't rooted up along with the weeds, right? He says instead, verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And when we read the explanation of this parable in verses 36 to 43, what we find is a message of the kingdom and of discipleship in the kingdom being mysterious and hidden. The seed grows up while the master and his workers are asleep. And it's also a parable that shows that this whole thing is patient 
and certain. There will certainly be a harvest eventually. And the Lord is patient, holding back his workers who are jonesing to get in there with the mower and clear it all out. They want to do that immediately. But he is patient to watch and to wait and to see which of the plants are sons of the kingdom and which of the plants are sons of the evil one. And then there's the third one. This is my favorite of all the parables in this chapter uh, about seeds and sowers and whatnot. This is the parable of the mustard seed. Once again, we have a sower and a seed. This time, Jesus speaks of a mustard seed, which is the tiniest and inconspicuous, almost imperceptible of all the seeds. This is the seed that would have absolutely no digital footprint. Okay? No followers, no likes, no friend requests, nothing. Tiny. But what Jesus says is that in the kingdom of heaven, a seed like this will go into the ground and it will grow slow and steady and hidden until it breaks up from the ground and then it will grow and grow grow to be larger than any other plant in the garden. It will grow to be a large and strong tree. So strong, in fact, that birds of the air will not just light on its branches, but will build their homes in the branches, their nests. Jesus is describing a plant that has deep roots and long branches. This is another version of the plant that grows from the seed in the good soil. That grows healthy and strong and bears much fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It's another version of the good seed that grows to be the wheat. A son or a daughter of the kingdom. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus is telling us about discipleship? Do you see that it is slow and steady, hidden and mysterious, patient and certain? Do you see that? Now, I don't know most of you. I've met a few of you. So I don't know about your discipleship. Some of you or maybe still wondering about this Jesus and whether he is worth following. And if you're here, I am so glad to see you. Glad you're here. Welcome. Some of you perhaps began following Jesus very recently, and you're still kind of, hmm, how's it going? Maybe it's really great right now, but you hear these parables and you're like, oh my gosh, what kind of soil am I? Oof. This is kind of worrisome. Some of you uh, perhaps have been following Jesus for a very long time. I don't know, but, but no matter where you might be in terms of discipleship, I want you to know that Jesus' approach to discipleship is good news. Okay? It's good news, especially in comparison to what we've made of discipleship 
in our immediate, vain, and convenient world. And what I'm talking about, y'all, is the church. What we have done to discipleship in the church is not helpful. <laughs> it's not helpful. If you're new and you come in and this is like, oh, it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be, that's a hard word. I would say it's false. Slow and steady, though, I will tell you, I'll warn you. Those of you who've been in this for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. It is hard. Slow and steady may win the race, but boy, oh boy, it's a hard race. Because we all love immediate gratification. Who doesn't? Well, obviously. If we can get it, I want it. But what have you ever received in immediate fashion <laughs> that was worth holding on to? Like, really? And let me be straight about one thing, as I don't want to confuse anybody on this. When we put our trust in Jesus as our Savior, as the one who has died to win us, to purchase us by his blood, when we accept that the cross of Christ is sufficient to save me from my sin and my death, inevitable eternal death, when we buy into that, our status as children of God is instantaneous, okay? That adoption is instantaneous. That's one exception to the rule. <laughs> that happens like that. But what I'm talking about is uh, the journey of discipleship, or to use a churchy word, the work of sanctification, okay? Sanctification. This is the thing that takes slow and deliberate time and is done in fire, it is hard, and there are difficulties galore that will come upon the disciples of Jesus Christ. Just a few chapters later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will tell his followers, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in another gospel, John's gospel, Jesus makes another seed analogy for the disciple. He says in John chapter 12, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So what I'm saying is not, it, it's not easy. But we're fixated on a quick and easy finished product, aren't we? And we want that so badly that we will forsake what I think is the truth of God's word and what Jesus tells us about discipleship. And so that's why we're vain and we try to put all those perfect photos of ourselves and our so-called life on Instagram. And we live with so much anxiety, of course, with that, right? And insecurity as we try and we microwave ourselves to holiness, when it really should be a slow burn. Eugene Peterson, who is the uh, translator of the, the message, if you know that, um, one of my favorite guys, a, a pastor for pastors, he wrote a book entitled A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. And it's all about this disconnect for Christians living in these days of immediacy and vanity and, and convenience. And he writes this, he says, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. 
little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. But when we, make, when we try to make discipleship this kind of instantaneous, impatient, vain display, am I right? It's exhausting. It's exhausting. There's no joy in it. There's no peace. And so I would contend it's not real. It's not of the Lord. But Jesus says, peace, be still. Chill. <laughs> Sit still. You aren't an instant photo. You're a seed that will take time to grow. You're a work in progress, slow and steady progress. And as teacher and counselor David Paulson points out in his book, Making All Things New, the living God seems content to work in individuals, you and me, the person you're trying to help, on a scale of years and decades throughout a whole lifetime. And perhaps the hard part is that so much of one's growth as a disciple happens so gradually that it seems not to happen at all. But in fact, it is happening. But it is sometimes hidden and mysterious as it happens. But the good news is, is that God, the sower of the seeds, is not just a farmer with crops, right? Sort of plant and leave it alone kind of guy. No. The other image that we often hear, right, is of a loving father. So we're not just seeds. You're also children. We're children of an infinitely loving father who is patiently and steadily leading, guiding, teaching, transforming giving his spirit, refining us into something that will one day be truly perfect. Here's David Paulson once again. He writes, It's no accident that God is love and love is patient fit together seamlessly. God takes his time with us. He takes his time patiently, slowly, steadily, but he is doing a work of sanctification in each and every one of you. It's hidden, it's mysterious, perhaps, but it is happening, okay? He's causing that seed to grow more and more with deeper and deeper roots and longer and stronger branches. We're moving from seed to magnificent plant with birds' nests in our branches. Martin Luther described the growth process we're in as disciples this way. He says, this life is not righteous, but growth in righteousness. It is not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. 
The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. So, my fellow seeds, stay in the soil. If you're not yet in the soil, I urge you to talk to Rob, talk to Will, talk to anyone here, and and let them share with you a little bit about their experience of what it's like to be a seed in the soil with a patient farmer, a loving father. Stay in the soil, the good soil of a church like Hope Church. This This is the kind of soil we need right here, friends community of gospel grace and love, trusting that God is doing a work on you and in you and through you, right? Love, equip, send, isn't that the thing? Yeah, that's discipleship. The husk will crack and that'll hurt. And the sprout will emerge and will break through the ground to see the glorious light of the sun. Do not lose heart when that growth takes a long time. That's just how it goes. Right? We're not bamboo of righteousness. We're oaks of righteousness, right? That's what we're called to be. Do not assume that the hardships and the struggles are God abandoning you. Or that you are somehow doing it wrong? I know it seems really inconvenient and even oppressive at times. But persevere. Be patient knowing that God, your loving Heavenly Father, is patient. We as seeds, we're going to die daily. That's kind of how it goes. We die daily to self and we're born to new life. And that's kind of how the growth works. And know that you are becoming something great, a plant that is larger than all the garden plants. You're becoming a tree where the birds of the air come and make nests in your branches. You are becoming a disciple with deep roots and long branches. That's my prayer for you. Why don't we pray for that? Would you bow your heads with me? Oh, Lord Jesus. This is uh, a word I needed to preach to myself. And it's a hard word, Lord. It's a word that I don't love. And yet, Lord, I know it's good news. That to be a disciple, to be a follower of you, is not a quick fix, is not an instant perfection, is not um, a facade that we can put up there into the world for the world to see and uh, have it be just just great. Lord, but very often it is slow and steady. Lord, it is hidden and mysterious. It is patient and certain. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do not give up on us. You are with us always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, as James puts it, you are always willing to give more grace. Thank you that, like the father of the demoniac boy who you healed, Lord, you asked him, do you believe? And he said, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Sometimes we don't believe. And so 
We need you, Lord, to give us that gift of grace to have faith and to settle down in the soil, trusting that you are doing a work, that the seed is cracking, that the sprout is coming, that it is breaking forth through the ground, and that growth upon growth upon growth is happening, that one day we will be perfected the glory of your name and the kingdom of heaven.